Hey, Kurt, we've got Kurt on the phone. What's going on, Eddie? Hey. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, always enjoy coming in here. Quite lucky to be doing that still. Essential service. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and what we're about to talk about is pretty essential, I think. Uh, this week we're going to be having a chat about the restrictions that have been put in place on the size, purpose and location of gatherings in public space. They've been put in place to help reduce the transmission of the coronavirus, but these restrictions been are they being policed fairly and uh, have they have is there an unfair impact on some people in our cities? What's going on, Kurt? Well, exactly. It feels like a good topic to get into right <laughs> now, doesn't it? But like you know, there are so many good reasons for putting kind of public health ahead of um, you know, access to public space and big public gatherings right now. But, like, I think it's actually, while we watch all that happen, really important to actually reflect on, like, what it's like to live in a city where we can't do all those things um, and think about what that sort of teaches us about public space generally. Um, and particularly, like, you know, the fact that actually for so many people in our cities, public space was already kind of locked down and inaccessible in all sorts of ways and, the thing that uh, I'm worried about, and I know lots of other people are too, is that actually these restrictions are just actually like exacerbating that and making it even worse because uh, they're hitting some people much, much harder than they're hitting others. So let's start by talking about the restrictions that are in place. Uh, the list of things we can't do has been growing steadily over the past couple of months. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So we've got a whole bunch of public spaces that are just fully closed to the public right now so children's playgrounds have all been roped off and skate parks and like all the inner city beaches are closed public swimming pools museums public libraries uh and then even your sort of commercial venues that have often served as kind of communal public spaces like pubs and cafes gone 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 but then even where you can still go to public space there are all these restrictions as we know on the size and the purpose of your gatherings so, you know, a month ago, we were all complaining about public gatherings being limited to 500 people, um, and now we're down to two um, if you're not part of the same household. And um, and also, here in New South Wales, it's not just that you can only be in a gathering of two, but you have to be out there for what they define as an essential purpose. Um, and the list of essential purposes includes stuff like shopping and care and exercise, but there's heaps of confusion about what's like permissible and what's not permissible when we're trying to define things as essential. So what does all the research about public space tell us about who is going to be uh, the worst affected by the kinds of restrictions that we're putting in place now? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, the first thing it tells us is that we just know that every time you put a restriction on public space, it's going to impact heaps more significantly on people who've got less access to private space. So if you don't have a stable home, uh, or if you've got really restricted access to, like, domestic space, maybe you're living in a super crowded share house or one of those kind of, you know, informal housing arrangements that we see popping up in Sydney now where people are putting petitions down the middle of rooms in apartments and crowding heaps of people in there, then obviously if you're, like, living in those circumstances, then restrictions on your access to public space are going to have really huge consequences. Um, and it's precisely because, like, the whole thing here is that we're restricting access to public space and telling people that they have to stay at home. And so, like, if you don't have home to stay at or if your home is impossible for you to stay at for long periods, then what the hell are you supposed to do? 
So, like, definitely the case for people who are homeless, but, like, also the case for, say, you know, as I say, international students maybe lost their job in um, hospitality in a super crowded house, like, no means of support. Like, exactly what are they supposed to do here? And, like, some of the stuff that, you know, is a bit distressing that we're seeing already with some of the infringement notices that police have been putting out in um, in Sydney in the last little while, it's like, you know, one that was for a person who was asleep on a bench, you know, another for somebody breastfeeding in a park. It's like there's all sorts of um, things that are, you know, being pinged here that you just think, well, hang on a second, like, where else are some of these folks supposed to be if not in the public space? Yeah, it's never been better to have your own mansion with a swimming pool, library, and you're in sauna. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you have to tell us all what that's like, Eddie, because I know that's how you're rolling. Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... With that, Kurt, yeah, so not most people aren't living like that. And even in the urban context, in these small apartments um, on one extreme and then people that don't even have homes, for some people it's not really a new thing to experience these kinds of restrictions, is it? Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? So, like, there's heaps of us that are like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like, you know, these restrictions are really awful. But then there are heaps of people in cities that, like, this is just almost nothing new. So what we also know from the research about public space, and this is what like got me into urban geography years ago, because I used to be a youth worker, um, working with you know young people in different parts of Sydney. But like for young people of colour, for instance, like you gather in a small group in public spaces on a Thursday night, uh, and the chances are you will get moved on <laughs> by security guards or cops even before the current crisis, right? Um, but like you know. Uh, if we think about even people like who were maybe asking for spare change or trying to hand out leaflets. There are a whole bunch of public spaces like Barangaroo and Darling Harbour and Rudy Hill, you know, shopping centre, like, which are meant to be public, but where they've got this huge list of activities that you can't do. So, you know, heaps of people are used to that. You think about people who can't climb stairs in our city, like, they were already basically barred from access to about 80 or 90 train stations across the city that still don't have any ramp or lift access. So, actually, yeah, there are all sorts of ways that, like, lots of people already experienced all these restrictions on public space. And the thing about those restrictions that were already there is that they weren't, like, justified by some super awesome public health, you know, need or anything like that. They were just literally there, um, you know, as a result of kind of, you know, stereotyping and um, injustice, to be honest, and sort of oppression of some folks in our cities. So those are, those inequalities are leaking into these uh, new powers that the police have and how they use their discretion in the way they enforce restrictions. There's already been some controversy about this, hasn't there, Kurt? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, like, Mick Fuller, who's the New South Wales Police Commissioner, keeps talking about, like, police will use their discretion in enforcing this. But, again, if you're one of the people that was already kind of a target for the police, um, hearing the commissioner say that they're going to use their discretion in who they enforce this on um, and how they do it doesn't necessarily, like, reassure you, right? So, again, we just kind of uh, have to be really vigilant in, like, noting whether that discretion is used to basically just, like, move people on politely if they happen to be nice, you know, white middle-class folks um, or to be, like, come down a bit harder with the $1,000 fines if they're people that are, you know, sleeping on benches somewhere in the western suburbs of our city or something like that, you know? So, um Yes, and it's like, it's sort of interesting. It's um, If you go through, the police are actually putting updates on their website every day or two about who's been given the infringement notices. And um, 
like, yeah, I haven't had time to go through them all in detail yet, but there's some interesting stuff going on. Some of it is that really distressing stuff to me that people who are just even outside on their own but can't demonstrate that they're there for an essential purpose of being pinged, and that's the stuff I'm most worried about. But, you know, it's interesting seeing who else is getting caught up in it. There's a couple of off-duty police officers been pinged. Apparently, we've just heard this morning that one of the New South Wales ministers has been spotted up in his holiday house on the central coast. Um, so, yeah, you know, which hope that the discretion doesn't mean that folks like that aren't getting pinged and uh, poor folks are. Mm. Kurt, we're going to go to a track and we'll come back and talk more about this. Alright. Is it a crime to be hitting up the lines of boys that I call when I'm bored I'm just killing time a couple in my mind that I
that track was by Sydney artist Ed Gez and the song is called Company, which is something a lot of us aren't getting in person at the moment. But we have got the company of Professor Kurt Iverson on the phone for Down to Earth. And we've been talking about public space in the pandemic. And one of the big questions now is whether all these changes are really going to be temporary. And Kurt, do you think that we'll see any lasting impacts on the way public space works from this crisis? Yeah, and that's like one thing that we're going to have to really guard against, I reckon. So if you just think about the police powers to start with, like um, they've said that those um, restrictions are kind of time-limited for 90 days in the first instance and they'll extend them if they need to, but they haven't made it permanent. But, like, this is the way that things happen in public space all the time, right? Like, so having done research in this area for, like, now, I don't know, I'm too old, but, like, 15, 20 years or whatever it is, that we just so often see that things that people say are temporary just slowly creeping in and becoming normal. And, like, that's what's happened, if you think about it, even with something we've discussed on Down to Earth before, right, which is the temporary closures of public spaces for commercial events. So, you know, when they first shut down a bit of Centennial Park or a bit of the Botanic Gardens to have, like, a, you know, a commercial event and put a big fence up and charge people entry, it was really controversial, but the authorities just said, oh, look, just for a week, don't worry about it, you know, it doesn't have an impact. But now, like, 20 years after we started doing that, it's happening so much more. Like, those things that used to be a week are now happening for two, three months at a time over summer. And so you can just see how sometimes these things have a cumulative effect, so we've got to be really careful to guard against like any 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 sense that some of this crazy stuff that we're living with now becomes even a tiny bit permanent. Yeah, you mentioning uh, those cases has reminded me of um, how New Year's Eve in our city has been changing year and year and how public spaces have been closed off and you have to buy tickets to them now. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And so this is the way that public spaces gradually become more exclusionary than before. Um, so we just slowly start to accept changes over time, don't we? We just accept that that's the way it is now in our city. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think this is the thing that, like, one of the things that really strikes me walking around my neighbourhood um, is that, you know, right now, so we've got all these restrictions, um, I sort of, you know, live in a neighbourhood where there's heaps and heaps of apartments and not heaps of public space, but we've got two high schools with giant ovals and we've got two council ovals and all four of them have got spear-top fences that were installed sometime in the last five years that mean that, like, all these people who are being told that you can go outside for exercise are just, like, staring through the fence looking at these ovals thinking, well, there's no organised sport on them, there's no reason for it to be locked up. Um, and we're paying for it, like public money, and yet, you know, all these things are inaccessible. And, like, again, that's just something that has happened. So I've been doing research tracking this over the last few years where, you know, about 600, over 600 schools in New South Wales have had these big spear-top fences um, installed in the last decade or so. So all these playgrounds and ovals that used to be accessible to people on the weekends are suddenly gone. Same thing going on with council ovals. So, yeah, we've just, I think... Right now, it feels to me like we should start noticing that stuff again and thinking, actually, hang on, like, not only are these restrictions bad, but that stuff that was happening before the restrictions is kind of crazy too, and we should be pushing back on it. So while while you're on your um, essential jog, keep your eyes out for fences going up. But, Kurt, do you have any hopes for what we might learn out of this situation? Can we well, make things better? 
Yeah, and look, that's the thing that, you know, the one thing that I've, well, I've got hope out of many things that are going on, actually, um, and I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, but one of them is that I just sort of feel like, actually, sometimes when you bang on about these exclusions to public space, um, I don't know, it feels as though people are like, oh, it doesn't affect me directly, I'm okay, and they don't necessarily take seriously some of the critiques that we might have about how, you know, young people are policed or how homeless folks are policed, but it's just the fact that almost like everybody's going through a bit of these restrictions now and everybody's realizing how like actually when you can't do the things that you'd like to do in public space that's terrible and it sucks and it makes life um, not good like economically and socially and culturally maybe the fact that more and more of us are experiencing that right now means that when the restrictions are lifted we might um, be a bit more sympathetic to some of the restrictions that are going to stay for all those people that we talked about in the first half and that we might be a bit more determined as a society to say actually public space is awesome and everybody should be able to use it and make sure that that's what happens. You're not wrong, Kurt. I've never seen so many people in my local oval than now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, Professor Kurt Iverson, thank you so much for joining us today on Down to Earth. Oh, it's a big pleasure as always, Eddie. Thanks so much for having me. All right. See ya. See ya. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.